0: Welcome to the show, everyone. This is episode 76 of Health Unchained. Before we get to the interview, I would like to take a minute to express my gratitude for all my guests, listeners, and collaborators who believe in the purpose of Health Unchained. Your messages, questions, invitations, and feedback all remind me of why I started this channel, which was to educate people about distributed ledger technology because it will disrupt consumer health and the entire healthcare industry as we know it. Thank you for being part of this gradual revolution in blockchain adoption. I feel lucky to be a voice in this passionate community and promise to continue delivering high-quality conversations as the industry is shaping itself. For my American listeners, I hope you all have a very mindful and peaceful Thanksgiving Day this year. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays because it encourages people to really think about all the important things they do have in this world. Although 2020 may seem like the year from hell, I hope everyone is able to discover at least one thing to be grateful for this year. For me, it's all of you, listening to and supporting Health Unchained. It really means a lot to me. One of the big topics this year is about rapid clinical trials development for COVID vaccines or treatment. In addition to the standard Phase 1, 2, and 3 clinical trials, the FDA may sometimes require Phase 4 trials to detect any rare or long-term adverse effects of a treatment. Phase 4 is also known as the Post-Marketing Surveillance and Safety Trial. In many of my conversations with guests, there is this idea of using blockchain to enable better, faster data collection and also for patient consent management of trials. In this episode, I speak with Robert Chu, CEO of Emblema, who is working to empower patients to more effectively share their data with clinical researchers. Robert and I talk about the tremendous value of provable, secure, real-world data that can be directly shared by patients to improve biostatistical models. We also discussed their recent business partnership with Alira Health and the origins of the Hive data analytics platform. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you all do, too. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And now, let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies. To revolutionize healthcare, these innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show.
1: What is blockchain? What is blockchain? blockchain. Blockchain. What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now.
0: Welcome to Health Unchained. Today's guest is Robert Chu, CEO of Emblema, which was founded in 2017 with the goal of accelerating research using real-world data this is definitely an important topic especially now with covid as we are seeing huge demand for faster drug development in the marketplace thanks for joining me today robert how are you doing
1: i'm doing great harry thanks for having me back on the show
0: yeah i'm really looking forward to this conversation and i would love to kind of get your background on you and you know your history with ibm and just would like to have that context for the audience
1: sure yeah so uh Uh, Yeah, so I spent many, many years, you know, early my career at IBM Um, was nothing to do with healthcare. I was uh, more on the uh, telecommunication side. And then I moved to healthcare in 2007, uh, where I joined a company called IMS Health. So the business of IMS Health was around healthcare data and how to use data for, you know, clinical research, um, making sure the drugs that are approved by the regulators are efficient, and also all the economics, you know, around the use of treatments. And I had a chance to uh, have a wonderful, uh, you know, set of uh, uh, jobs over there, uh, you know, uh, managing an affiliate in in Europe and then going to Asia Pacific. And my last job, you know, at uh, Ivis Health, um, during the merger was Quintels on the clinical research side was to deal with technology. So how do we use technology to accelerate, uh, you know, the provision um, and the analytics of big data, data that's being more and more complex, coming from different sources, and, um, and I loved <laughs> this job, I guess, uh, to a point where I decided to, uh, to found and believe in 2017.
0: Yeah. And for the audience, if you don't know, 2017 is actually pretty early for a blockchain company in healthcare, at least. Uh, so I would love to kind of understand, you know, how that came to be. And when did you first hear about blockchain?
1: Oh wow, that's a great question. I think it was around. I was still, I uh, was still in Asia Pacific, so I think it was around 2015. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, you had the emergence of uh, all the cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, and things like that. But I think what intrigued me was the um, well, a couple of things: the decentralization ability of it, right? Making sure you didn't have a third party to kind of control, you know, validity <laughs> of transactions, which is always interesting, you know, for healthcare because we know that data is decentralized, right? It's in hospitals and pharmacies. On your cell phone, you know, name it. Uh, so I think that was intriguing. And then, um, and then, what's also very interesting was the uh, the the, um, the blockchain technology at the time was the high level of data integrity, making sure that nobody could hack, you know, the data very easily. Also, something that you know, at least intuitively, for healthcare data is, is pretty important because you know, bad data could kill people. Right, healthcare.
0: For sure, and yeah, I think that's something that's super important. What you just said is uh, having that data integrity in your system is so important, especially in healthcare and blockchain potentially offers a way for, you know, organizations and people, uh, to do that because you can have information that is auditable throughout its entire history. So I think that's very interesting. So tell me more about emblema. So what's the vision? What was the vision? Has it changed? Have you pivoted?
1: Uh, no, look, we're, uh, we're keeping, uh, we're staying on track. So, so what is the vision? The vision is, is to use the patient as a driving force mm. to generate all this clinical evidence. Because when you think about it, you know, where, where is most of the data and who knows, you know, your health better than yourself, right? Um, That's true. And also you find out that patients are very involved in their diseases, especially if the disease is, is uh, you know, is a severe one or you have a lot of unmet medical needs. So, and that was something I really wanted to try out because uh, when I was working at IMS uh, Health or IQVIA, uh, we talked to every stakeholder of the, uh, you know, of the ecosystem, as we call it, except for the patient. <laughs> so I said, that doesn't make sense, right? Uh, so that's, that's the first assumption. And, and we're really you know, uh, uh, kind of uh, implementing this you know, big, big time. So using, first of all, the patient as the driving force to generate data To collect data to share it for research, and the evidence we have so far, you know, I'll I'll give you some examples down the road. is is, uh, overwhelming yes. So that's great. Then the second thing is that you need to make sure that this data, uh, you know, is good enough so that you can conduct actual clinical research. And most of the data today is not fit for research; it's fit for care. It's fit for very basic uh, studies like uh, epidemiology, which is fine. I mean, it's useful, right? I'm not saying it's not good. But if you want to do clinical research, then the gold standard during a clinical trial, it's going to cost you $2 billion, right? So that doesn't make sense. Uh, so the technology here, that's how it, uh, you know, it comes into play. So we need to use better technology uh, to make sure that uh, you pointed out to the provenance, you know, from the origin. You need to make sure what this data comes from hasn't been falsified. That's super important. And then you got to normalize the data using technology so that they can speak, you know, to each other. And then you have to have a set of very robust analytics, including very complex analytics like on genomics, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the suite of software I have developed and implemented in several places. And ultimately, the idea is that patient will generate and share data very quickly, and we transform it in a way where it's immediately receivable by the FDA to accelerate drug approvals. So that's, that's what we want to do.
0: So are these... Can you give some examples? So I'm trying to imagine what a patient would do like what is their role are they on an app providing information is it a medical device that's tracking something and that's getting sent to some server what's the what's the process there
1: yeah sure so so let me give you an example of a a platform we're setting up in partnership with epilepsy foundation it's called the eden platform it's called the uh, epilepsy digital um uh, navigator so first step Epilepsy Foundation is going to incent the patient to participate to research, contribute your data to research, right? Why Epilepsy Foundation rather than Blima? Well, because that's a trusted partner, right? And that's very important because Epilepsy Foundation will have this relationship, this trust, to ensure that the patient will stay engaged, you know, several years. What's difficult in this business, you can recruit patient and then do like a two week study, that's fine. To keep the patient for several years, that's very, very difficult to do. So the best place, in our opinion, is the patient advocacy group. So that's the first step. Patients are recruited by Epilepsy Foundation. Then once the patient said, yeah, that's a great idea, I'd love to contribute to research, they have an app, which is the Emblema app on which they create an account. On this app, they do several things. So they can respond to surveys. So, for example, in epilepsy, you have surveys in depression, anxiety, quality of life, very important, seizures. You know, very important fortunately and then they can also synchronize their medical records and upload them in eden so the way we do it is that the patient delegates us to connect through the patient portal to the health systems and we retrieves through a protocol called fire medical records, medications lab results you know vital signs etc and then the patient can also synchronize his fitbit data for sleep and activity right and all of this on what i'm talking about this is really s- simple clicks nothing complicated right so that's the data collection part if you if you if you want then what's super important why is the patient doing this of course contribution research is important but the patient is doing this because he also receives in real time feedback from the data he shares or she shares that's also from the data from the community so for example we implement what we call community reports so i'm a patient you know my age group is 25 to 35 I'm also a diabetic and, uh, you know, like just to understand, you know, how's the community reacting? You know, I'm taking more medication than this guy, having more seizures. What's my quality of life? Oh, it's better. So that's good to know, right? So things like that. Very useful for them, right? Uh, and very valuable. And there's other services like, okay, why don't you consolidate my whole medical records, Fitbit data and depression surveys and medications, whatever, and give it to me so that I can, when next time I go see my doctor, right, at least I have everything on a single place because otherwise I forget everything, right? So that's another example of service. Um, and that's then the true. other services that will become available will be towards more directly linked to a research like, okay, can I identify clinical trials where I'm eligible? So not on looking on clinicaltrials.gov, right? But, uh, you know, based on my inclusion, my, my, my attributes, right? And uh, my matching <laughs> the inclusion research. So these services, digital services are very, very important, you know, for the participants to keep them engaged over time. It's, it's really a gift to get. You know, that's what we want to establish, right? Uh, so that, that's how it works, you know, kind of the in and the out.
0: So I have a kind of a question for you. Something I've seen from other companies that are trying to leverage, you know, patient data, uh, either for clinical trials or for, you know, for their own well-being. Uh, they try to incentivize patients into giving data with either like a crypto token or maybe some sort of Amazon gift card or something like that. Is there any mechanism on your platform to incentivize patients, in addition to wanting to just contribute to science, which is by itself a really you know an awesome reason to do it? But uh, I'm just wondering if you've built some sort of incentive mechanism.
1: Yes, yes. So, so, so that's right. That's also part of the uh, part of the um, of the package. I say so. So, uh, usually, motivation number one is uh, contribute research. Motivation number two, I receive lots of services. You know, zero sources back from the data. And then motivation number three is is monetary, right? So either a gift card or some kind of you know good or 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 sometimes money, right? Because mm-hmm. you know it can be paid right. Principally in a study. Uh, so to implement this, we did implement. So we have a blockchain, and then we can talk about a little bit more. Yeah, we'll
0: get into that for sure.
1: is <laughs> kind of the core of the discussion. But in our blockchain, we also you know implemented a crypto token, you know, which is not tradable, which is not uh, you know exchangeable. It's, it's it's just a point, right? But, you know, it's in blockchain, so you also have this tamper-proof aspect to it. And this point is a measure of the activity of the patient on the platform. So for example, I log in the platform, 10 points. Uh, I respond to a survey, 50 points. I synchronize my Fitbit, whatever, 100 points. We can decide whatever we want. And then it's up to really us and Epilepsy Foundation or, or, or likes, right, to what do we do with those points? So, for example, in one of those studies, if the participant reaches a thousand points, meaning that pretty much he did everything that's required in the study, you know, mm-hmm. he gets to keep an Apple Watch, on which we mm-hmm. develop, you know, something to track the sleep, right? So that's that's you know, an incentive. Um, and then we're gonna we're gonna launch uh, early December uh, a COVID-19 study on our platform in Portugal.
0: Oh, Beautiful interesting.
1: Country. Yeah, and this is with the um, pharmacy association. So people, basically pharmacists, are going to recruit the patients. So same thing here. This is the trusted partner. Pharmacy asks you to do something, usually you're going to do it, right? Uh, and this is to understand the impact of COVID. Obviously, you know, it's like here, it's a, it's, a, it's a bad sanitary situation. And um, and then we're going to have points. So same thing. Patient responds to a survey on quality of life, impact of COVID on my job, or whatever, right, on my treatment. So he's going to get points. And then what the pharmacists, they have also um, loyalty card, Right. So you have a hundred points, you can buy, you know, shampoo, whatever. You know, if mm-hmm. we have chart or discount, and they're gonna transform our tokens, you know, take them out of tokens, right, in our account, and then put loyalty points. So that's that's an example of another, you know, schema to uh, to to incentivize, you know, the, the participant.
0: So that leads me to another kind of question. I know I'm putting on my hacker hat right now, and I'm just thinking, sure. what's preventing a person from trying to create a thousand accounts? Are using some bot to create many accounts is there what's your approval process look like okay,
1: okay so so remember the 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 recruitment is always done by
0: the patient our, advocacy yeah, Patient
1: advocacy or pharmacy right and obviously you know um, this person has to be identified by this entity right so if this is like we don't know this guy then it's, it's just not gonna go through the first step which is recruitment so that's number one. Then number two, what we do, we we generate actually a study code which is personal to each participant. So if you get a study code, you know, they're gonna make sure you're eligible, I'm eligible, or you, your study codes will be different than mine. So you can't create fifty accounts or things like that.
0: Understood. Okay, that makes total sense. Um You know, when I think about real world evidence and data, I realize that this is gonna be exponentially increasing over time we're going to collect more data and it's going to be more useful because we're going to have better models Um, but i also feel like the majority of people don't care either right now like the people on the streets why should people care about real world evidence and data
1: well world evidence um it's it's the necessary Factor to bring significant improvements in care and in research. Okay, so that's a, that's a, maybe a little complex statement. So let, let me let me unwrap this a little bit. So let me let me continue on the example of epilepsy. This is an excellent sure. example. So this is a disease. Three million people, you know, in the United States. Forty percent of these three million people develop some kind of drug resistance, meaning that they can't control the seizure anymore. Which is really bad because it, you know it impairs you, and sometimes you can even die, right? You have like sudden this type of phenomenon attached to it. That's a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. And the only way you can and 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 you know and the other problem, yeah, very important also. There's no standard of care, so there's like 25 approved drugs for this. But if you take a given patient and you take the same patient in terms of you know stage of the disease or type of epilepsy and seizure pattern, etc., you go see Doctor A. And Dr. B, you'll get a different treatment, different drug, different dosage, you know, right? So, all of these, you know, lead to this 30% kind of thing. So, what's the problem here? Well, it's a data problem. It's a data problem. So, the with raw data, if you're able to collect, okay, so this is this type of patient. So, I need to characterize this patient. Okay, this guy was diagnosed like five years ago. This guy has no corbidities. This guy has taken this. Drug treatment, you know, for the past five years, and this guy has this kind of blood, you know, uh, you know, lab results, and then with raw data, you can mine the data, find those patients, and determine which is the best treatment that works, meaning that the seizure reduction. Okay, once you determine this on this raw data, you can say this is the standard of care for this type of population. This is the line of treatment we need to give. Nothing else. Okay. That's the problem. We don't have enough of this data to determine which is the standard of care by subpopulation of, of treatment. So that's why rural data counts, you know, for improving care.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, for a drug to be put into the market, it needs to go through clinical trials, like you mentioned. Phase one, which is like maybe ten to thirty, maybe fifty people, phase two, maybe a few hundred people, and then phase three, maybe a few thousand people, depending on what you're trying to treat. Yeah. Right. And phase four, we can consider the real-world evidence phase of data collection, and it doesn't end. I I think, in my mind, it shouldn't end because we should constantly be able to refine our understanding of the drug and our understanding of how we react to the drugs because each um, genetic person, different individual, is going to have a different reaction potentially. So we need to, and their environment as well, is another factor. So
1: exactly yeah and i think you got a great point so the question is okay why why can't you do this in phase three <laughs> so mm-hmm. the, the answer is there's none of patients right so this is not you don't have all the different diversity of population and then real life is not clinical trial you know when you do clinical trial first of all the doctors you're going to select you know if you're a pharma company well who are you going to select well the best experts you're not going to give this to you know not, not expert because you want this trial to succeed right so this guy is very good what they're doing and in real life. Well, you know, everybody treats epilepsy, you know, not just a super expert in New York Langone or Yale University, right? So that's one difference, right? The way people practice in terms of healthcare professionals is different in real life than in clinical trials. And then the second thing is the patient you're gonna select you know, are very robust patients, right? So no comorbidities, healthy patients, right? Because of the same thing, you want, you want the, the trial to succeed. But in real life, you know, you usually have a core you also diabetic, and, uh, you know, you maybe a little bit more fragile and so on. So that, that's why, you know, you don't see these kind of things in a clinical trial. Uh, when it gets to real life, it's much more and more messy.
0: That's a really good point. Because,
1: that's what we need to address, right?
0: Yeah, and, and these companies, uh, you know, you mentioned like IQVIA and these other clinical trials research type companies, they have a model. They want to select just enough diversity in their patient population group but they also want to succeed in their trial they're spending billions of dollars for these therapies they don't want to fail with the fda so they're making it just diverse enough to meet the the guidelines but also um i guess maybe homogeneous enough to succeed in the trial and uh, yeah so that's kind of interesting let's 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 dive into emblema and your technology stack and you mentioned some of the services and Mm -hmm. products and platforms but i would like to hear it from you like you know, the overall, how the platform works.
1: Sure. Okay, so let's start by the patient. That's the most important, right? Uh, So we have an app, a patient app, on which the patient, you know, creates an account and then, you know, has some services like collecting data, multi-type of data, medical records, and, you know, survey responses, connected devices, and then also receives digital services, so dashboards and any kind of reports. So that's uh, the front end, right, to collect the data. We also have apps for investigators, Uh, So, you know, if we have doctors involved or we need to collect, you know, genomic data, we can also ingest this kind of more complex medical type of data, you know, in the platform. So these are either connectors or apps. That's the front end. Then the back end is a a platform called Hive, H-I-V-E, which is, uh, so that's something new since last time we spoke. Um, This is a platform that has been brought to us by our chief scientist, uh, Dr. Simonian, who used to run bioinformatics at the FDA. So this is a platform that's actually used by the FDA for their regulatory analysis of complex data sets. So in Hive, we're gonna store you know, the data coming from the app. So medical records or patient reported outcomes or connected devices. We're gonna store genomic data, we're gonna store images, we're gonna store spectral data like EGs or ECGs. We're gonna normalize this data, that's very important. So you know, clean it up, uh, map it to what we call ontologies, which are reference dictionaries if you want uh do some calibration you know like let's homogenize the, the units so that's also done in hive and then there's going to be an analytics layer which is how do we you know make the data speak right so how do we correlate the genomic mutation with a particular you know disease symptom right and make sure well that's interesting that's actually subpopulation right we need to be interested in mm-hmm. so all this is done in hive so collection with app connectors storage data cleaning creation let's call this analytics into hive and then the last layer component is a blockchain, which we put. Well, we talked about the tokens. So that's one use of the blockchain. What's and the, the
0: uh, token uh, symbol? Does it have a symbol? No, it does and not. That, have a symbol. No, OK, it's not like it's not on the market. It's like you mentioned it's on the market.
1: No, yeah. it's, uh, it's not traded. It's not listed. It's uh, not exchangeable. Um, so so uh, beyond the tokens, So there's two information, very important information in the blockchain. We code the patient consent, mm. right? So. The promise, you know, going back into the our, our our belief, the patient needs to be in total control of this data, right? So that's mandatory in Europe, for example, for our GDPR, right? But we also you know, are doing this in the U.S. because same thing. If you want sustainable engagement with the patient, you need to be super transparent and compliant with what the patient wants to do. Otherwise, you know, there's going to be doubt, and then he's going to pull out. Simple Absolutely, that, right? So whatever the patient is going to consent. So how does it how does it work? You know, in a pragmatic fashion well, okay, here's the patient, there's a study, I'm eligible, okay, this study is for, let's go Pfizer, it's on, uh, you know, diabetes, and uh, the data what they want to access is going to be your medications and whatever, you know, allergies, the duration is going to be that thing, the output, right, the outcome of the study should be, used. so this kind of use of the data and who's going to look at the data, well, some kind of scientist, you know, from Lehman or Pfizer, and then the patient can say yes or no, right? See so, you no, know, end of story, you know, nothing gets out, right, nothing is exposed. If he says yes, then we're going to code all these parameters into the blockchain: duration of the sharing, you know, who's the, you know, researcher ID, you know, who can access the data, what kind of analytics we can perform, right? So we code all this into the blockchain so that every time there's an access on this particular medical record, right, for this particular study, we check, you know, before it gets out of Hive or it's being analyzed in Hive in the blockchain. Okay, this is compliant with whatever the patient has decided to do. So that's one use enforcing the patient consent this is by the way very new this does not, does not exist in, in in common clinical research So of course you have a very robust patient consent but the patient consent you know uh, uh in the clinical research uh standard uh, study is completely separated technically speaking you know from the data sharing or data analytics so if yeah. somebody wants to do something there's no way you can prove that you know hasn't done it there's once just no- you
0: sign it the first time yeah. once the patient signs it, it's it's gone their data it's gone. They can it's use gone. it anytime. One thing you mentioned that's pretty cool is you said that you can have the um, time period when the data can be shared. So this is not like a permanent consent. It's like for the next year you can use my data, Mr. Yeah. Researcher or Mrs. Researcher, Miss exactly, Researcher. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So it's not a one size fits all consent. It's a it's a you know, study by study, purpose for purpose type of consent.
0: That's Interesting. True.
1: Uh, and the patient can pull out any time, by the way, right? So after the mention his mine, you know, okay, we just, you know, code into blockchain. And uh, by the way, we also have the history of consents, which is also very interesting. So did you do the change of consent because it was an adverse effect in the study? Yep, we did it on this date. This is the transaction ID. And here you go. Here's the trace, right? So anyways, that, that's, that's good. And then the, the other uh, use of the blockchain is uh, what we call data providence. So each time the data comes in, each time we transform it, we do a QC, quality control on it, we're in analytics, we trace it into blockchain. And this also provides another trail to report, okay, well, this is from A to Z, Z being the outcome of the, you know, the analytics, right? Well, this is the chain of processing that we perform on this data element. Same thing, this is another trail, right? So that's super important, for example, for the FDA
0: that's true because they will ask for for proof of all of this. I have a question for you. When you say on the blockchain, is there a specific protocol that you're leveraging? Is it is it a public permissioned I am assuming it's permission based on the conversation so far.
1: Yeah, it's a permission blockchain and uh, so the the way we coded, you know, all this information is proprietary to us, right? So this is not okay. I mean it doesn't exist, right? So <laughs> we had to uh, of course you know the regulation around CFR 21411, things like that, but otherwise the way we do it, you know, it's it's a proprietary protocol that we, we code into blockchain
0: interesting so it's not like one of the major um you're not leveraging like Hyperledger or ethereum or anything like that like what's the
1: oh no uh, yeah no, i'm sorry i said no no we do we uh, we yeah. coded it in Hyperledger, right so we're not we're not uh, you know uh, collect, like core blockchain protocol yeah. developers but the health data protocol around consent and probably this is something proprietary to us
0: Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. On November 17th, 2020, the FDA issued an emergency use authorization for the first COVID-19 diagnostic at-home self-test, which provides rapid results. The LUCIRA COVID-19 All-In-One Test Kit is a molecular real-time loop-mediated amplification reaction single-use test that is intended to detect the novel coronavirus SARS-CoV-2. That causes COVID nineteen. The Lucira COVID-19 all-in-one test kit has been authorized for home use with self-collected nasal swab samples in individuals aged fourteen and older who are suspected of COVID-19 by their health care provider. It is also authorized for use in point of care settings such as doctors' offices, hospitals, urgent care centers, and emergency rooms for all ages, but samples must be collected. By a healthcare provider when the test is used at the point of care to test individuals younger than 14 years old. The test is currently authorized for prescription use only. An important component to testing successfully at home is the ability to effectively and efficiently track and monitor the results. The prescribing healthcare providers are required to report all test results they receive from individuals who use the test to their relevant public health authorities in accordance with local, state, and federal requirements. Lucera Health, the test manufacturer, has also developed box labeling, quick reference instructions, and healthcare provider instructions to assist with reporting. You can find a link to this announcement in the show notes. I think this is a great step forward in at-home COVID testing, and I hope these types of test kits will soon become available without a prescription. As we embark on the potential second wave of the COVID-19 pandemic, I'm happy to see the progress we've made with at-home COVID tests. Normally, approving an at-home test could take multiple years. If anything, 2020 showed us that healthcare innovation and good leadership are both plentiful in our society. We just need to stop focusing so much on the negative news and spend more time lifting each other up. And now back to my interview with Robert Chu, CEO of Emblema. I want to talk a little bit more about Hive. I know that it was recognized in over forty different peer-reviewed publications, and that's a big deal. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what was discovered in those, and any kind of like interesting learnings?
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, Hive is a is a is a, is a quite a tremendous tool. Um, so this is the tool, just to give you an idea of the scale and the depth of Hive. So this is the tool that has been used up till today, right, by the Food and Drug Administration to approve all what they call precision medicine, uh, therapeutics and diagnostics. So precision medicine that any, you know, therapy that works on a subpopulation with a marker, usually it's genomic, so you have this kind of mutation, right, then you're gonna be eligible to receive the drug. All these new drugs, you know, most of them in cancer, but also in rare disease and neurology and so on, have been approved in Hive which means that the FDA has performed analytics using Hive on more than 100 approvals since 2012. And you take the latest and the greatest, uh, you know, uh, uh, treatments like uh, CAR T cells. So these are, you know, your, your you know, white cells, right, that you would take out from your body. Somebody would re-engineer, you know, the gene, right, in your CAR T, re this back to your body, and these... Supercharged, you know, CAR T cells would kill the tumor. So that's that's pretty cool, right? The latest treatment, first approved in 2016. Well, the analytics was done into Hive. So it hmm. gives you an idea of, you know, well, actually the contribution, you know, of Hive to, to public uh, to public health.
0: So also. just to clarify, so when was Hive created? I guess it was before Emblema, right? Yes.
1: yes. And Hive was created in 2012. By. By uh, Dr. Simonian. Okay. So Dr. Simonian was recruited at the FDA in 2012 to build a new capability because Precision Winston was really emerging at this time, right? And he did so uh, with his own toolkit because he was doing bioinformatics with Natural Cancer Institute for several years. And um, the interesting attribute is that Hive, the intellectual property, the property of Hive, the code was Bahan's, was Dr. Simonian's, <laughs> right? And Dr. Simonian gave the FDA a free license of use.
0: Wow!
1: Right. And any new development that the FDA has performed in Hive and, you know, there's new drugs, you know, approvals every year, right? Uh, several tens of them, right? On precision And Well, this code belongs to, to Dr. Simonian. And then what Dr. Simonian joined Emblema last year, he transferred the property of Hive to Emblema. So now right. Hive to Emblema and FDA has a license of use, you know, for us.
0: That was, that was the connection I needed to make. Thank yeah, you yeah, for yeah, explaining yeah. that. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, that's, you know, that leads me to another question about patience, actually, and data privacy, really. What sure. tactics are you employing to address data privacy and personal ownership of one's data?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that, that's super important because that's our core belief, right? So patient needs to be in control and we need to be able to prove it anytime. Okay. So first tactic is um, consent to every sharing, not a blanket consent. And the way we present it to the patient, it's very, very written in plain English. You know, this is what it is. So it's, it's fully informed and fully voluntary, right? And then there's a consent form, which is more technical, which is sometimes you know a bit more. Wow, well, what is this about? But We always take the time to explain, you know, on simple screens, you know, what this is about, right? And the patient can always get out of a study anytime and can ask for data erasure anytime. Okay, so that's the first thing. You want to make sure you know exactly what you're getting into. Okay, the second thing because we put you know all the information of what the data is being used right into blockchain the patient can check at any time anytime okay who used my data one and then of course you know he's going to remember okay yeah i did consent to this so he can check at any time that whatever we're doing is consistent with what he approved beforehand that's the second thing and then the third thing you know we want to make sure you know we serve the patients at the end of the day right so all the digital services i was talking about this is very important to make sure that the patient you know receives at actually the pace he decided to do so. So when we onboard a patient, we're going to ask him, okay, how often do you want to be updated? Some people just you know don't bother. I don't, I don't need, you know, maybe once every six months. is for Some people look every week, or as soon as you do something new, I need I want a notification and I want this kind of information, right? And all of this, when we build, you know, the, these platforms for epilepsy, for multiple sclerosis, for asthma, you know, we hold patient groups to make sure, okay, what's the information that's relevant to you? What's your biggest pain, right? And then we make sure that whatever we deliver back into our digital services addresses those. Well, not always sometimes, but, you know, most of it. So that's, that's how we hopefully, you know, can sustain the patient trust and continue to contribute, right, in a very trusted and transparent manner.
0: Yeah, and I love that you're focusing on the patient first and reaching out to advocacy groups to help with, you know, attaining the right patients. What has been some of the feedback you've received from, like, beta testers of the platform?
1: uh well you know we we have like more uh, more than a thousand live patients you know in four disease areas um on, on the latest version uh, including Hive. and um what is the feedback i think um while they love the ease of use starting with the consent for the first time i understand you know in plain english what this consent form so not because the doctor has asked me to Sign it because I want to be a part of the study. But you know, I can read it and can understand what it is. So I think the ease of the use of the platform is one feedback. What they absolutely love is all the information feedback, right? Uh, so the feedback for having, you know, usually when we have these kind of things is like general articles on epilepsy. Well, I can go on the internet to read those. What I don't have is, okay, my community, you know, people like me, you know, what do they have? Or, or, or you need to go to patients like me, but you know, the data is not as rich because we have medical data, right? So that's mm. that's a feedback. Then the other thing, um, we uh, we have some feedback. So they want to be in charge of what kind of data they want to share. So for example, in epilepsy said, look, I don't wear a Fitbit. I don't, want, I don't like connected devices, so don't bother me. So what we did in onboarding is that, what are you ready to share? Medical records? Yes. Fitbit? No. Okay, so that case, you know, we're not going to talk about that you know, anymore, right? Uh, so we have the feedback we have is give me the choice, right? It could be a very light use of the platform. So I just want to see, report my seizure. I allow you to ask the question once every month that I have a seizure. So that's like very light touch, okay, which is what I'm going to do. Or I'm, oh, look, I, I, because I'm taking care of my kid with epileptic or I'm a caregiver, I will report every seizure in every dimension. What's the trigger? What's the duration? The type of seizure? Right. <laughs> if my kid took the medication or missed the medication? And that, in these case, they're just ready to spend literally 10 minutes, in your know, per seizure. Fine. Okay, well, let's do it. We never force people, you know, to give information they don't want to give. And we ask well, them beforehand, you know, what they're ready to give.
0: What would you say is like the the percentage of people that are heavy users versus light users is like, yeah.
1: 25% heavy users. Mm-hmm. It depends on the disease, but 25% consistent heavy users, meaning you can ask them are lots of things. They're just spend a lot of time. You're on the platform. Um, then you have, you know, like 60% of people who are doing a good use, you know, it's, produce good continuous data with not too many holes and stuff like that. And then you have like the rest, which is maybe 20%. These are what I call light users,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? So they would really... The minimum. Their ...implication, but they will provide data. And, you know, data is better than no data.
0: Um, well, even at the 25%, if you think about, if you get a large volume of patients into the platform and you can really scale this up pretty quickly if, you know, everything is, is um, developed properly, it's going to be much better than a phase three trial anyway so you're going to get real high quality data and then you'll also get the 75 percent of medium quality data let's just call it so it's still better than the status quo which is you know great what would you say the biggest barriers to blockchain adoption is in healthcare
1: uh i think the biggest block uh the biggest uh, inhibitor is uh uh reception from pharma companies right it scares them, right? Because there's a cryptocurrency, you know, attached to it. Uh, so, you know, uh, so I think it it needs to be presented as a technical layer, right? Uh, because, you know, it's like a type of database that's so good, that's very, you know, very well suited to the consent and, you know, the I think that's fine. Uh, but I think definitely this is not mainstream technology like Oracle, you know, and mm-hmm. for companies, uh, there's a lot of knowns and sometimes, you know, uh, kind of, you know, uh, you know, misperceptions right around the technology. I think I think it's a more a cultural thing. Uh, so I think that's one. And then the other thing is that uh, there's really, n- in my knowledge, no implementation scale. And uh, you know, uh, it's been a uh, like called I think the Gartner curve, whatever. A lot of hype right three or four years ago. So everybody was super excited, and then were, here we are three years later. Okay, where, where implementation scale? Well, I think there's not that many, right? And as you know, the pharmas and, and those enterprises in general, and right? not only pharmas, enterprise enterprises in general, right, especially the big ones, they don't like to be the first ones, right, <laughs> to test no. the technology.
0: Too much risk.
1: Yeah, too much risk. So anyhow, you know, the person who takes the decision does not want to be fired. If you work with uh, Oracle, you're never going to be fired. If you work with, I don't know, uh, Hyperledger, right. you know, so these kind of things. So I think we have to wait a little bit because it's you know we're, we're starting to get at scale uh people like dfd are very interested you know by blockchain i mean they definitely see value they also have pilots on yeah. drag uh, drug tracking i'm sorry you know um and you know we have work on going with these guys and, okay, uh, yeah the blockchain. Uh, so i think i think it's, it's going to take some time i don't think it's um i don't think it's uh it's a uh, it's uh like uh intractical problems never going to work it is going to work but it's going to take more time than i think that most people anticipated
0: it is no i agree with you and it is interesting to see that regulators are you know, somewhat interested actually with the pilot programs, uh, that they did host even like four years ago, 2016. So that was, you know, early, yeah. pretty early. How would you say the regulators are doing? Are they doing a good job? Um, besides, like the FDA or, you know, I'll let you answer that.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think from a scientific standpoint, you know, the, these people are uh, doing, a, doing a good job, especially the FDA people. Um, and I think COVID-19, uh, actually, has put some pressure on this. Uh, hmm. You know, obviously, you know, for example, to prove the vaccines, and you've seen all the <laughs> things we couldn't read, you know, left and right. Oh yeah. But I think the good consequence of this is that uh, it has kind of forced them to make some clear cut decisions, right, on what's real required, on which we can expedite and an approve, and what's like more nice to have, right. And I think there was like a little bit of a fuzziness, you know, like a moving target. Okay, we come with, you know, there's pre-meetings and, you know, for the sponsor and, okay, we just need to do this, to do that. And then three months later, oh, oh by the way, it will be good if you do this and this. Well, I'm running a trial. Well, and, and everything gets delayed, right? I think with COVID, the public health imperative is so strong that, okay, let's just go to the, to the core of what we need to understand through safety. And I think, and I think strategically it's very important, um, uh, in my view, in, because COVID is going to push this notion, as you say, phase three clinical trial is a, is a lab experiment at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, it gives some evidence, but the real thing that's, that's really the proof in the pudding, right? And how the drug is working is really phase four. That, that's what we want to do, right? So, COVID nineteen, I think, is going to accelerate this phenomenon of uh, what they call pragmatic trial, or making sure let's shorten the phase three. Okay, we just need to make sure it works, right, and then it's safe, right, but, and then really proof is going to be in phase four so let's accelerate phase three and then let's do phase four but to make sure that it really works in phase four we need to put in place those rural data networks much much you know better and stronger and, and reliable than we have today so i think this is going to create a big big demand you know for world evidence just on the case that okay they're going to be forced to approve drugs earlier right because of covid and then you know the the consequence of this is that you need from the day you're going to launch your new drug, you get approved, you need a real, you know, tracking, you know, mechanism. Uh, so I think that's 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 going to be one consequence, right, of, uh, of uh, what the regulator is doing, you know, because of COVID-19.
0: Yeah, and I also think that sometimes we see drugs that have been in the market for five or even 10 years, and then they get recalled for, you know, side effects. Right. That's, I think, because we don't have these networks, these real-world evidence networks. I'm sure you're going to hear lots of, Physicians, primary care physicians, hearing complaints from their patients, but that's just going in that patient's notes. It's not going into some network where where it could be shared and analyzed, or you know maybe use Hive to kind of understand what's going on. Um, So this is definitely you know the direction we're going into. So very interesting.
1: You're exactly. Let me just illustrate uh, exactly what you're saying. I mean, so for example, vaccines. So there's a big thing coming called you know the COVID nineteen vaccine, right? And, We're all and, waiting for it, <laughs> right? And of course, the question is: address effect. It's going to be expensive. You're going to give this to three million, you know, three hundred million people in the U.S. You're going to be addressed. So there's a system called VERS, V A E R S, which is something sponsored by the FDA, which is a website where the healthcare professional can report a vaccine address effect hmm. So any kind of vaccine. What's the use of Verse? At best, fifteen percent. At best. Mm. These are estimates, you know, from, from people studying the data, right? And then the other problem is that this data is not normalized. So it's like free text, oh. okay? So you can do so much with natural language processing and try to recodify this, right? And uh, But that's the problem. Nobody is incented, you know, to report an adverse effect, right? It's not a remorse, right? They're not going to get paid of it, and then therefore 15%. So, so. Uh, tracking the real world is very limited right very limited with the systems we have today and i think vaccines is such an important topic these days they got to come up with something new you just can't go with this first they gotta ask the patient themselves do you have a headache you know <laughs> things like that so so yeah so these new new models and new systems will involve the patient i think are going to be the answers to these challenges
0: yeah no that makes complete sense what is' um- What is Emblema's business model?
1: Yeah, so the the business model, the revenue, we get this from uh, pharma companies, right? So people who are paying to get good quality data. uh, And we do it uh, two ways. So um, there's a license fee for technology, right? This is a SaaS license fee. And then there's expertise, right? Mm. Uh, So that's where the revenue comes from. And then uh, in terms of um, partnerships with the uh, Epilepsy Foundation or uh, patient advocacy groups, we usually do a, a revenue share because they have work, you know, to recruit patients, to come up with a nice website, to recruit patients. Uh, they also have a very uh, big value in the clinical aspects. So what's the data dictionary? What does it make sense, right? So all the clinical aspects, protocols, you know, they take care of this. So it's a, it's a partnership. So the revenue comes from the former companies, right? And then you're just sharing between a for a technology stack, data processing and things like that. And then, you know, more clinical and patient engagement aspects from the patient advocacy group or Pharmacy Group, or whoever, you know, whoever that does this, uh, these functions.
0: Got it. Who would you say are some of your major company partners and even major investors?
1: Yeah, sure. So, so, um, so let's, let's, um, in terms of, of clients, you know, with so the, the ones we can talk about, we have, um, uh, we have uh, Johnson & Johnson, you know, as a pharma a company for Golderma and Skin Disease, you know, which is an excellent, uh, excellent client. In terms the other partners, I like talked about the Foundation, um with multiple sclerosis solution america um lg and uh, asthma network uh, in the US um, so these are the people you know taking care of patient recruitment and patient engagement as i told you
0: i know yeah. recently you also partnered up with alira health too right. could you could you talk about that partnership yeah. and what the yeah. goals are for that yeah.
1: yeah yeah that's a good point i, I was forgetting this one so alira is, is a great partnership so this is a, this is a business partnership so this is a company um, which performs consulting and services for pharma. So they would run observational studies, or you know, pricing studies, you know, efficiency studies, health economic studies, you know, all kinds of studies that support you know a pharma product. And uh, the only so they do a great job. They're based in the U.S. They do. Uh, they're based also in Europe, but they don't have technology to collect. You know. Uh, fit for purpose, let's call this data sets, right? So they work on existing databases, which we know today in the era of precision medicine is just not good enough, right? Hmm. So therefore, you know, they were looking for technology partners. So we need somebody, you know, who's nimble enough, who's doing you know, a good job of collecting good quality data so that we can supercharge our studies, basically, right? Our consulting capabilities. So we're this partner and the nature of the, uh, of the, of the partnership, I think, is great because it's going to allow Lira Health to provide end-to-end solution, not just consulting, right, to a pharma company. Right. And for us, it's great because these guys are distributing our technology. So they're a channel partner to us. And this is fantastic for a startup, you know, to have like people on the ground selling this here you know, on your behalf. That's true. So we're very happy because these are very, very scientifically qualified people uh, with an excellent reputation. And they complement, you know, the technology with services we do not provide because we can't scale, you know, a big services team. And on the go to market, it's a huge benefit for us, right? Uh, generating opportunities for us.
0: Well wow, yeah, I mean, it sounds like a great fit, and I do wish you guys luck. I think I'll definitely be following it and um, looking forward to interesting announcements. Mm-hmm. How would you describe your company culture, especially now with COVID, I'm sure you guys are remote working?
1: Well you know we're a, we're a small team, so we, we, we know we know each other now for, for years. Um, so we're very fluid, uh, you know simple. <laughs> just just how know, big is
0: the company? How many employees?
1: Four employees? okay four employees. And we're remote. Obviously, uh, we talk to each other, you know, every day, every hour. Hmm. And uh, you know, I think it's going great. And I think everybody is so um, uh, driven, right, to to establish this new model to serve the patients. Uh, you know, it's not just a job for us, all of us. I can tell you. <laughs> and I think the uh, the COVID nineteen also, although of course, you know, it's hardships on you know on our health or you know family situations so on. But I think it, it um, actually uh, multiplied our motivation because we see the relevance you know of the virtual you know technologies to allow patients to collect data we see the relevance of the high platform and involving high quality reward data you know for example clinical trials we just discussed or you know establishing what we call synthetic control arms this is very exciting to even shorten you know further right the phase three trials
0: wait you said synthetic control arms did i hear right? what does that mean
1: Okay, so that's that's also a pretty novel concept that's starting to emerge. So so the concept is the following. So today, when you run a clinical trial, mm-hmm. usually you have two arms, you know, active substance arm, active arm, and then placebo arm, so that you can have a compare, You know, is this working or not, right? Uh, problem of this, well, you have half the patients that you're doing nothing, you're not helping, right, because they're placebo, and they don't know it you know, for good reasons. And then it also multiplies your cost of recruitment, duration of recruitment, which is the longest phase in the clinical trial by two, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's a problem. Synthetic control arms say let's just keep half of the patients that you give them the active substance. You're actually helping them, hopefully, right? And then you're gonna do the compare on data. Not on patients you have on placebo, but on data. So that's called a synthetic control arm as opposed to a patient live control arm, right? Hmm. This data has to be super clean, obviously. Because so it's like a you-
0: simulation of
1: it's a simulation, yeah. It's a simulation of a placebo control arm, right? Interesting. So Placebo control arm, the data quality is top. It's like clinical trial, right? Everything is vetted and so on. When you take the data from hospitals like EMRs, it's not gonna be as clean, right? So there's a lot of work in terms of curation. I was talking about the data management part. You need to normalize it, you need to compute the same endpoints, you know, the the one primary endpoints in the clinical trial and so on. So we have lots of work on this, which, and if we succeed doing this, I mean, obviously we're gonna cut down, you know, the cost and the duration of patient recruitment in clinical trials by two. (laughs) That's great. That's our that goal, you know, big accelerate big. all this thing, you
0: know? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, thanks for explaining that. Yeah, sure. Um, So let's think about next year, 2021. What are some of your outlooks? What are you seeing?
1: Yeah, so 2021 for us should be the year where we're going to start scaling, right? So up to now, so the company, we have three years, you know, it was existing. A lot of work, you know, we're scientists, engineers, so we like to develop. Um, and... Uh, so we're at a point where the platform is fully developed We you with know, more than 1,000 patients. Um, we can ingest any kind of data We have the Hive, you know, formidable analytics capability. So it's all built out. And business-wise, uh, you know, projects like the Eden, the Epilepsy one is a proof in terms of, you know, product market fit, right? It's taken in time to turn. We need to do some more work on selling Hive more. So remember, it's a very recent acquisition, you know, from Emblema, um, right. from, from 2020. Once we're gonna hit those business milestones, so we have recurring revenues like on Eden, things like that, you know, and then we get some have some more Hive contracts. We're gonna go, you know, for uh, for you know a bigger round of funding, and the uh, the proceeds of the funding is really to hire salespeople, do marketing, and, and basically you know scale, multiply the different uh, Hive projects, and you know even like platforms to the disease areas. So that's that's uh, that's the objective for next year.
0: What would you say are some of your favorite? decentralized ledger technology projects that you think are doing important work?
1: Oh, yeah, I think um, I think Hyperledger is doing a great job. Uh, what I like about Hyperledger is their uh, attention to enterprise grade, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of IT. Uh, the more um, I would say like public, you know, public uh, blockchain networks. Uh, I mean, it's it's great for consumer stuff. But, you know, again, I mean, we we're talking about, you know, what's the innovator. When you talk about enterprise-grade software, you know there's attributes b- beyond the core data integrity and decentralization of blockchain. So things like, can you manage this blockchain? You know, can you predict the performance? Can you scale it? You know, uh, yeah. and this is very, very. Di- these are very, very difficult topics. You know, I mean, we, we did a lot of developments around the blockchain to ensure a steady flow of transactions, to ensure the blocks are not going to crash. Or if a node crashes, you know, what's the what's the recovery? You know, procedure. You have to develop all this stuff. And what's great about Hyperledger, they have this 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 culture, right? Uh, an intention of providing more tools than beyond the core blockchain, uh, you know, uh, abilities. So I think that's that's super important. And for me, that's going to be a really condition of adoption. You know, can this thing scale, and can this can this thing be you know manageable from an enterprise, you know, uh, grade on you know, quality uh, aspects? I think that's that's super important.
0: Interesting. So I have a few uh, fun questions for you, a little less technical. what is the most influential book you've ever read?
1: Uh, <laughs> I think, um, I think uh, look, I think one, uh, one book um, that I actually uh, loved is actually a child book. <laughs>
0: huh.
1: it's, um, it's called The Lorax. I don't oh, know, yeah. Yeah. And I remember, you know, as a kid, I mean, at least still, still today, I remember the depression gave me, right? Uh, and having this kind of gigantic dreams and, and things getting out of control and i loved it i think the learning here you know we we have a gigantic dream you know what we're doing you know is potentially super transformational to accelerate right what you just discussed right there's so many problems right (laughs) in health care but we gotta do it one thing at a time Mm -hmm. that's the thing that's the thing and uh and we gotta be very very thorough in our validation how do we make sure patients stay engaged how do we make sure you know they don't drop off after three six months how do we make sure you know the fda you know, as in boarding these different concepts around blockchain it takes time because regulation is is, is a little bit slower you know, than science usually. And I think one of the quite the um, the, uh, the learnings of the Rorax is that okay, it's great to have a great dream, but you know, it's not just about hype. You know, and it's making sure that you know, operationally you can you can have you know things in the control, right? Stay in the control. So I think that's the learning.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you got to put the work into it. And yeah, that's an interesting answer. I haven't gotten that one before, so thank you. <laughs> um what are your thoughts about the singularity that is supposed mm-hmm. to happen in two thousand forty five
1: well look I, i'm not a i'm not a futurist and uh, i'm not a philosopher uh, i think uh let's say i'm i'm, I'm not optimistic i think i think the worst case scenarios of singularity in two thousand forty five is this you know this artificial intelligence would get out of control and then basically discussing well actually mankind is bad right <laughs> and then they would do they would all kill us right like terminating kind of thing right but i think i'm, I'm more optimistic i mean it's it's a technology right and technology should uh, should actually augment people right? and people and the intrinsic quality of people is that we have desires we have intent you know we have intuition which i think is is hard to codify mm-hmm. and i think this these are hopefully you know only going to be uh uh, you know, kept, uh, you know, <laughs> in in our species and, and not being machines, hopefully. So I think I'm optimistic. You know, we're going to make progress with technology for sure, but it's not going to dominate us, hopefully.
0: If you had to have a microchip implanted in your body, where would you want it implanted?
1: Oh, I, I would put this in, uh, in my legs <laughs> <Next>? <laughs> to run oh. faster.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. So like a chip to give yeah. you... Increased yeah. strength and agility or something exactly. like
1: that. So why why am I saying this? So because of COVID, so I've been you know at home for like most people for six months. I picked so much weight, <laughs> <laughs> my friend. <laughs> it's really bad. I guess i mean eating too much snacks. You know, at home. <laughs> so I start to jog again, but at my age, it's painful. So uh, if I could augment my legs, right, in uh, in a more uh, you know less painful size <laughs> nice routine, I would I would sign up. You know, like like immediately fair enough <laughs> yeah
0: I could see that um but then we're getting closer to the singularity where we're gonna we're gonna become like a bionic human then we'll see <laughs> yeah. well Robert I think we touched on everything we wanted to talk about this was you know a really great conversation so thank you so much for your time is there anything else you would like to share with the audience
1: no look I mean let's stay optimistic you know for COVID uh, hopefully those vaccines Moderna Pfizer the ones will arrive quickly um and let's stay optimistic you know let's stay optimistic and uh, and hopefully learn uh, i think when, when the bad side i think of COVID, of course uh, you know human loss and sufferings and economic impact is also you know we have to learn from these right we had SARS with MERS you know what did we learn unfortunately right uh, but hopefully this time we'll learn um and uh, you know and uh, the, the future is only going to be brighter from from now on so let's stay optimistic
0: yeah, no, I totally agree. We should all stay optimistic. And if you think about it, the human species has been through a lot worse than COVID-19. So I think we'll be just fine. Right.
1: right. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. And thanks for uh, for organizing having me, Ray.
0: Hey you. Hey, all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.